It is generally agreed upon and often stated that the first and most emblematic teenage moment on film is in Rebel Without a Cause, 1955. It occurs at the beginning of the film, just as Jim Stark, played by James Dean, is being picked up by his mom and dad from the local jail, where he's been detained for drunkenness. He looks at his bewildered, annoying parents and says, You're tearing me apart! That's supposed to be the line and the movie that started it all. By that time, after the poverty of the Great Depression, after the sacrifices of the war years, we'd finally reached a period of enough affluence for teens to be in a sort of existential mess filled with questions of identity. They became fixtures on American screens. Before all this, the American teenager was barely an idea. The word teenager itself was only about 10 years old in 55. The first inkling of a need for a transitional period between childhood and adulthood began to dawn on us in the early 20th century. A group of uh, psychologists and social scientists start discovering this uh, sort of chronological realm in uh, human existence uh, known as adolescence. Thomas Doherty's book, Teenagers and Teen Picks, looks at what he calls the juvenilization of movies in the 1950s and the history of teendom. Mainstream culture talks about it as the younger generation or the problem of the younger generation, usually. And then around the Second World War, you get that phrase that we use, teenager. And that enters the Dictionary of American Slang around 1945. And that's when this creature that uh, has been with us ever since uh, really starts emerging in American culture. As the idea was absorbed gradually into the culture, so it appeared in the movies. The teens of what you might call the pre-Dean era are completely different specimens in a market that had not yet been defined. Because, after all, in those days, everybody went to the movies. So the movies were made for everybody. So if you look at, you know, representative classical Hollywood films, uh, you know, like It's a Wonderful Life, you know, Wizard of Oz, they have a pretty wide generational uh, scope in them. George, Harry, come down with it. you got, you know, grandparents, a sort of older married adults, you've got very young kids, you've got young people and the boy and the girl and all that, because they configured cinema as being for this big, undifferentiated mass. It's the undifferentiated mass that allowed for the Andy Hardy series to be born in the 1930s. Look, Dad, can I talk to you man to man? That's the way I always wanted to be. Stories of Judge Hardy and his family, with Mickey Rooney as his teen son struggling to become a grown-up. Oh, man to man, Dad. Can a guy be in love with two girls at once? In the Andy Hardy films, the purpose is basically to reinforce the wisdom of good old Judge Hardy, Andy's dad. And, uh, you know, every film they have this man-to-man talk, and uh, Judge Hardy gives Andy the advice that will serve him in good stead as he becomes an adult. So these films are very much part of the older model of instruction. Oh, Dad, you don't have to worry. I'm never going to get married, ever. That's a momentous decision. It's a different model of adult, too, of course. You take wise old Judge Hardy, epitome of the head-shaking, all-be-darned, all-knowing dad, and put him up against a more domestic Jim Backus, who played James Dean's father in 1955. Hi, Jimbo. You thought I was mom? Crawling around on his knees in an apron, you know, not exactly an admirable patriarchal authority figure for Jim Stark in Rebel Without a Cause. Less than 10 years after Love Finds Andy Hardy in the post-World War II America of the best years of our lives, the admirable patriarchal authority figure, Dad, has been away in the war. This is a samurai sword, Rob. 
Thanks very much, Dad. He returns to his town and his family only to find that the world has moved on. He barely recognizes his children, who now in teenhood look and talk like young adults. You're just kidding me, Dad. You've been to all these places and you've seen everything. With no apparent teen characteristics. I've seen nothing. I should have stayed home and found out what was really going on. Later in the 40s, he had films like The Bachelor and The Bobby Soxer. Shirley Temple, no less, teenaged with a crush on grown-up Harry Grant. By that time, teenagers, the word had just gone from the adjective teenaged to the noun, had some of their own lingo and the beginnings of a teen life. Malagrini, shooky-dooky. Dickie. Ready, Poop? Let's scoot. Wait. Wait. In Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer... Step right up and get yourself a sack. One central scene is a small-town sack race. Contrast that with cars zooming off cliffs in Rebel only eight years later, and you can get a feel for how fast the culture is moving. A lethal version of the pre-Dean teen turns up in film noir, too, in the late 40s. I've been thinking. What about Anne Blythe's awful, money-hungry, murderous Vida in Mildred Pierce. She is a teen with no redeeming social values. What if you married him? Maybe we could have a maid like we used to, and a limousine. And no peers. She'd rather fool around with mom's rich, fading playboy husband than friends her own age. That's the hallmark of the pre-dean teen, really. All of them want to grow up to be adults. Good adults, like Andy Hardy, or bad adults, like Vita. You don't really think I could be in love with a rotten little tramp like you, do you? Only a few years later, and we're into the wild one. Pop me, Dad. I popped you, Dad. Brando and his biker Stop friends. Me, will you, Daddy-o? Come on. That's it. Stop <laughs> me. Now, give me some skin and ooze it out. Just nice. Adam. Youth has arrived, traveling in packs. They want to be who they are in their generation. They proclaim their culture, which by now they own completely. The rebob, Dad. The rebob. He's a square man. Don't you get this at all? A year later, there was James Dean. Surely Brando had paved the way. Dean even said as much. He famously gave his pal Dennis Hopper an explanation of his aesthetic. He said, I've got Brando in one hand, saying, screw you. And I've got Montgomery Clift, on the other hand, saying, help me. Somewhere in the middle is James Dean. So where did Brando and Clift come from? Well, they had Mickey Rooney in one hand saying, gee whiz, and Anne Blythe in the other saying, I don't care. In other words, they, along with James Dean, invented something quite new that turned movie teens completely around forever. For WNYC, I'm Sarah Fishko. NYC Now delivers breaking news, top headlines, and in-depth coverage from WNYC and Gothamist every morning, midday, and evening. By sponsoring our programming, you'll reach a community of passionate listeners in an uncluttered audio experience. Visit sponsorship.wnyc.org to learn more.